it's the Tiltcast, episode 517, Into the Shrubbery. And this week, guys, we talked Midnight Fight, Ghostwire Tokyo, Cult of the Lamb, Last Spell, and GamesCon coverage. Stay tuned. GamesCon, yay! All right, are you ready? Yep. Uh, yeah. And we're back. It's the tilt cast. It is August 27th, 91 degrees, mostly sunny at 7.15 p.m. on a Saturday in the year 2022. Yuck. And we're back. We are. Uh, it's been a, been a little bit. We had some uh, issues last week, family issues that prevented us from recording, so we weren't able to make it. Um, obviously things were further up the radar than, than podcasting that week. So we skipped it. Um, but we are back. I think we're a little bit closer to getting a rusty on the show. Um, he's got most of the equipment and most of the ability to get on the show. So I think me and Jason are chomping at the bit to get a little bit of rusty in here. We, we are, he just discovered in uh, trying to set up his stuff. He needs some additional tables. So. Yeah, Hopefully he, next week we get to test with him and he's ready to go. Yeah, but I think for this week we're going to talk a little bit of current games. I've got a couple of reviews for you all. And we've got some Gamescom stuff that we wanted to go through, kind of highlight what me and Jason are more interested in. I think that's what we got for news because, honestly, that's what the news has been the last week. And Gamescom, honestly, I thought did better than a lot of the announcements that we had for any of the stuff we had in the summer of gaming or steam summer of gaming, et cetera. Like there was a lot more, I think there was a lot more impactful announcements and trailers in gamescom. Like there's a lot of videos you can go out there and watch that have all the trailers for everything. There's a, there's a fair amount. It um, also seemed like gamescom really opened themselves up to media coverage. Um, they live stream a lot, a lot more stuff than, um, a lot of what we saw, even out of E3 and PAX, I mean, they were really chock full and still have a couple of days worth to go. So um, I was really surprised. I mean, it, it really reminded me of like E3 2019 as far it's as the amount of coverage that we saw of different studios, et cetera. It's the closest we've gotten to something like an E3 in a while. And it's weird coming from Gamescom because usually Gamescom kind of falls flat, but because there hasn't been anything, I think that kind of amplified how much this felt like a Gamescom or a, like an E3 almost announcement space. Because well, PAX was pretty low-key. Like they, they were still having limited amount of people that could enter and like – there was a limited amount of games that were showing there. And so that didn't really do it. And then there's so much noise with the summer of Steam game stuff. There's a lot to filter through, right? Like for every one good announcement, there's 20 kind of okay to middling announcements in there. And so even with the hype videos, like you can tell, especially after doing this for so long, not just the podcast, but playing video games, right? 
I'm way off the hype train stuff than I used to be because I've gotten disappointed a lot in the last several years. And so I've kind of learned to temper my expectations a lot better than I used to and either like something for what it is or try to look at it a little bit more objectively and almost more critically before I give something a thumbs up to pursue just because I'm sick of wasting my time on crap um, or stuff that's not worth the time investment, so to speak. So, um, anywho, um, Jason, before we dive into all of that, um, do you have anything interesting that's happened this week? No, man, not really. It was, you know, outside of the issues I won't talk about here that happened last weekend, it really, really turned into a pretty boring week. Not a whole lot of a game for me other than a few more hours of, of Pokemech because I'm still on that kick. Um, and then, uh, um, no, yeah, that's really about it. Oh, no, I take that back. Since we last recorded, um, couple things uh uh hit hit disney plus that myself and the family got really excited about um of course for the kids the movie lightyear um which is without spoiling for anybody who hasn't watched yet in the last couple weeks um is basically supposed to be the movie that the toy Buzz Lightyear that Andy gets originated from. Okay. Was it pretty all right? So, it was okay. There's So as an adult, there are things as I'm watching this movie that were kind of inconsistencies based on what, you know, the toy world of Buzz Lightyear's told us in, in the first, Let's say really two Toy Story movies, because the thing is, is kids aren't going to catch those inconsistencies. Yeah, kids aren't going to catch it. If I remove that from the thinking, yes, it's actually a really enjoyable movie. Um, uh, and and really enjoy enjoyed the experience as far as um a uh. Pixar movie it was I wouldn't say it was on the the level of storytelling that say the Incredibles is on um but very very interesting sci-fi elements that they worked in there um and a lot of uh uh different um rules that they paid attention to um such as the rules of relativity and and light speed travel etc so there there were certainly a lot of things that were expanded on the mythos it was just some of the supposed story inconsistencies with the character buzz lightyear that we knew from the toy story movies so there was part of my adult brain that was like Andy would have wanted this toy based on this movie. I don't know, but um, it's still an enjoyable movie if you can remove that part of your brain from it. 
That's fair. Um, and then, of course, She-Hulk premiered. Oh yeah, last You've, week. Yeah, so that's like everything else. Disney Plus. Like, are they on the second episode yet, or just still the first? Uh, yes, second episode came out on Thursday, though we still haven't watched it. Um, but I gotta say, just from the from the first episode, without spoiling anything, of as much of a comic nerd as I am, I know, you know, John and Dave are even more, and I haven't had a chance to talk with them about it, but I felt like they honored the two or three different origin stories of She-Hulk that have been out there in Marvel Comics uh, pretty well. Um, most people don't, other than extreme comic book nerds, don't know that... This character is actually the first character in Marvel Comics to really regularly break the fourth wall and talk to the audience. So is that something that they do a lot in the show? Not a lot, but the places where... So it's not as gratuitous with it as Deadpool is. Yeah, Deadpool does it a lot. But where they do do it, at least in the first episode, was very poignant like there was a there was a point to it it was a they were really a couple of them were really funny glibs um that even other characters in the world reacted to like looking at her like who the fuck are you talking to kind of thing um that's kind of interesting so like yeah the people the world around her is reacting to her fourth wall stuff uh, a little bit and you don't know they leave at least they left it kind of ambiguous as to whether or not they're they're kind of shrugging at her like yeah okay whatever about her comment she made to the audience like she was commenting to herself under her breath or um or you know whether or not they were asking like who the fuck she's saying that to kind of thing they leave that kind of ambiguous which i think kind of really amplifies it in my mind um either way it was it was really good um people were kind of weary of the cg from the youtube trailer but um after watching it i cannot i can honestly say that um I think the issues with the CG were just the, uh, as far as the trailers everybody saw, were more to do with the YouTube compression um, than it was the CG being bad. I actually thought it looked really good, especially for what is essentially a TV series. I mean, I know it's only six episodes, so, um, you know, they, they probably give it a little bit better uh budget than than say a regular 20 to 26 episode season but it can't be like movie level budget right so i have seeing good cg is nice i haven't really watched it yet in fact i still haven't gotten through fucking uh the tale the tales of boba fett um <laughs> the book of boba fett yeah I haven't gotten through any of that yet, so I haven't watched a lot of TV. The only thing I've gotten through is Letter Kenny and Shorzy. But um, does 
did they pick an actress that's like super ripped or is all the rip like when she changes and is CG'd? Oh, oh no. All the rip is when she changes. So she's a very um, normal looking person before. And then when she changes, she's like super ripped. Absolutely. And the actress that they got to play the She-Hulk is almost a dead ringer for the vast majority of the uh, the comic book depiction of uh, non-Hulkified Jen Walters. So, so they got somebody who looks really like her then. Yes. It's... It was freaking uncanny. I was like, am I sure I'm not just watching a CG rendering of the comic book? Like, this is actually live action. It, it's uncanny. And I think it's amazing. And the actress, I don't remember her name, but she's a really, really good actress. Been in a lot of, a lot of stuff. So it's not like she's somebody we've never heard of either. Okay. Well, it, well you haven't remembered her name. So there's that. Yeah, but I mean, she's been in enough stuff. Let me see. Uh, I very pointedly put my phone know. down so that I really zeroed <laughs> in here while I'm quote unquote um, interviewing you. Right. Tatiana Mislani has been in a little bit of everything. I'm sending you a pic because you'll recognize her. I'll fill the silence with the dulcet tones fill, of my voice. Fill the silence. Right on. Well, while you're sending me that, did you end up doing anything else? Or no? Uh, no, not really. Just, like said, a few hours of stompy robots. Um, It's been... Uh, like I said, kind of a really dry, boring week for the most part. Um, but this gal's been in, uh, uh, been in stuff like, uh, oh, Parks and Rec. Back. Um, she was in Perry Mason, um, the HBO series. Um, she's a she's got a pretty she she's a got a pretty bunch big of voice acting etc. Yeah, she's got a pretty big laundry list of different things she's been in. Yeah. So yeah. she, even if you don't remember her name, she is a known quantity because you've seen her and stuff, and you'll, you know, you'll recognize her face. You just may not necessarily know her name. One of those, and I feel like Marvel done a really good job of casting people who are like that that um uh that fit well in the main role that they may not necessarily necessarily have had before um they're also uh, uh really good at finding unknowns to be honest i mean you think back to daredevil nobody knew who Chuck Charlie Cox was in 
until Daredevil, and then everybody knows who he is, right? So. Well, right on. Well, I've got, in general, I had a pretty boring week. But in the last 24 hours, I've had a very interesting week. Most of what I did is beat game after game after game um, while I was... Oh, I know you were like a machine. Yeah, I got through quite a bit in the last two weeks. We didn't end up recording, and so I ended up finishing um, Cult of the Lamb, which I'll talk about. I've got a final review of that. So I actually ended up doing that the night that we were to record it. And then me and Rusty chatted it up on Discord through his gaming headset um, while I was beating it, basically. Um, but yeah, I beat a lot of games, got really far in a roguelike, started a new game, started two new games, actually. So I've got a lot on game fronts. Um, and then today, like, I had a really long day leading up to this. Um, and I'm glad I did it on my day off. Um, so you guys may know, but... Jason's only 37. He's the only person on the show left in his 30s. But um, I turned 40 this year, and I decided to finally get a tattoo. So um, I found a design online for Lord of the Rings. And you're thinking, yeah, that's pretty dorky. Well, I guess you're listening to a video game podcast, so you're still in the same camp. Um, and what I did is I found a design that's not on any tattoo designs. It was – I don't know what it's from. But it's literally like Saruman's Tower, freaking Sauron's Tower with the eye. It's got the Nazgul. It's got Smaug. It's got, um, or Smog. Um, it's got the original or the, the original party, right, that's going in search or that's with Gandalf. And it's got Gandalf on it. It's got, um, I can't remember the name of the fucking tree. And then it's got the script for the uh, one ring in the middle, but all in Elvis script. And I know that sounds like super trendy and nerdy or whatever. It's really fucking high detail. And it goes in a big circle. Um, it's got like, like I said, it's got like Frodo and Sam. It's got Shelob on it. It's this really intricate piece that I wanted and did not realize how long that would take. Um, or yeah. how tender I was in certain parts of my skin. Um, I did not want to be a, it's, a wuss. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks great. I mean, basically, guys, it's a circle starting at the top with Hilltop in the Shire. Right. To the top, to the Tower of Isengard, to, to Mordor and, and the Tower and Eye of Sauron, uh, and then finishing off on the, you could say the west pointing end yeah, it is. Uh, to the white tree of to a hill with the white tree of Gondor on top of it. And right. it's in a big circle. So it has the different paths. So there's silhouettes on the path as it circles around. And that was one of the reasons I really liked it because it highlights all the little things. Like my dad's really against tattoos, right? So I sent him a text. Oh, me and Jason were doing show prep. And I was like, hey, finally did something. I was like, you may or may not hate this, but at least you'll appreciate the subject matter because my dad's responsible for my interest in Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> funny thing is, so I wasn't allowed to read Lord of the Rings till I was like 11 or 12, um, but I read it 
probably 10 times before I graduated high school. And then the movies came out after I graduated, which was even cooler because it was like, oh, it's the movies come to life. And they didn't quite get it right. The Hobbit movie, I'm still really fucking may on it. It should have never been a trilogy. Um, but like, that's a big part of my history, right? Like, I've been a fan for a very long time. And uh, the guy that I got, got it done from, and I'm going to say his name, not that there's not anybody here local, but his name's Eric Poland from a place called Electric Eye. He's been doing tattoos for a very long time. And uh, I showed him the artwork. He's like, I think I can do that. And I looked at his other artwork and I was like, I know you can do that. Like, he's like, that's a lot of detail work. He's like, you better have big calves. I was like, I, I have big calves. Um, I was really heavy for a long time. So I've got big fat calves. Um, they're disproportionate to my body size now because, you know, I used to weigh close to 400 pounds. So, and all that muscle's still there. Right. Carried a lot of weight. So came in, did my appointment a couple weeks ago. He's like, yeah, I can do that. And then he traced it out a couple different times trying to get it exactly how he wanted it, getting the symmetry right. He's all right. He's like, all right, first tattoo. It's like, yeah. He's like, that's a lot to commit to on your first tattoo. And I was like, I know. I was like, but I'm getting something that I wanted and it's not going to be something I didn't want, right? So anyways, I, I showed it to my dad and my dad started pointing it out, right? He's like, oh, there's Shelob. He's like, oh, and there's the Nazgul. He's like, oh, and there's Frodo and Sam. And he's like, you can't, it looks like he pulled this out of the old token artwork. And I was like, that's the thing. It's the whole reason I grabbed it is it's like the Elvish stuff that looks almost like Cyrillic, um, right? Really high contrast. It's all in red. It's all very sharp. It's the, you know, one ring to roll them all, one ring in uh, shit. Anyways, it's all that. Uh, right? you'll, you'll know when you get too sunburnt if you can't see the text anymore. <laughs> I never sunburn. I don't sunburn that often. So, um, but it's really sharp. And I'll tell you that it really could tell that it was very sharp because he worked on this for a long time. Um, honestly, I didn't realize how much shading would be uncomfortable. Shading's pretty uncomfortable. And all you people that have tattoos are probably laughing at me right now. That was the most uncomfortable. And I've got parts of this that are right behind my knee. Um, I did grip my teeth pretty hard when it was right behind my knee. It, it, it goes from behind my knee almost down to my Achilles tendon. Like it's, it's about, I don't know, 16, 18 inches long. Um, it's a fairly large tattoo. And then it wraps around my calves with the different, with both the towers. Um, so like, it's a very large, it, it almost reminds me of kind of like uh, old Alice in Chains artwork that had the sun. It's in that same symmetrical pattern, but it's all Lord of the Rings stuff. But yeah, it's got a whole lot of shading in it um, that highlights the different things that's going around. Like he was even doing like all this individual needlework for a lot of the tower stuff and individual shading for the tower stuff. And I was not looking at it because it's behind me. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, he's like, this little part is pretty tricky here. So this is going to take several passes for me to get it quite right to where it looks how I'm satisfied. But yeah, he was pretty proud of the piece. He's like, I really like this. He's like, how do you feel about it? And I was like, dude, this is on fucking point. Um, dude, I mean, the I'm just going to say that the accuracy of of that Elvish script and how how thin 
he made that script and didn't uh ended up not having any fat parts in it that is excellent fucking work like yeah it's a friend of mine that has these bats with these lines that go up and down the back of her legs right and he's got these extremely long lines that it almost makes it look like she's wearing stockings with it, but the bats connect with these really long lines that are about like a quarter inch thick. And it looks like he used a fucking ruler, but it's like perfectly symmetrical on her leg. Because I was talking to my friend about it because she's who rec- like Trent recommended this guy. Vanessa recommended this guy. Trent's girlfriend recommended this guy. Like everybody that he's met, like he just does stellar work. Um, and he's been doing, like I said, he's been doing it a really long time. So there was a, uh, what is it called? Birds in the Clouds? There was a song about Aaron, your big old pussy that he kept playing over and over again. I can't remember the name. There's like this stupid country band. Um, I want to say it's called like Birds in the Sky or Birds in the Clouds. But anyways, it's a really offensive like folk country band that these two women play in. They sing a lot of songs that make you feel extremely emasculated while you're getting tattooed. Um, he kept joking about it. He's like, you know, you never know what I could be doing back here. He's like, I could be getting ready to peg you. You have no idea. He's like, I'm tattooing you from behind. He kept razzing me the whole time. Kept trying to make me laugh to like not think about the uh, how uncomfortable it was at times while he was tattooing. He's, he's really good. Um, I tipped him a hundred bucks. Like, I don't know that I've tipped anybody that much. But it was my very first tattoo. He did a perfect job. I I couldn't be happier with the final result. So um, to me, it was so worth it. I was like, if I was going to get something, and it would be something I absolutely wanted. I picked this out back in October, waited this long to finally get it. And then I was originally going to get it last month, but then I had a huge plumbing issue and didn't want to spend any extra money because I didn't know how much it was going to cost. And then $3,200 in miscellaneous expenses later, I was glad I didn't spend an extra 500 bucks, but right now I'm already thinking about a, like a gaming sleeve on one side and then a band sleeve on the other side. So I don't think I'm going to get oh, a cap. Of course you are. Yeah. I'm going to start probably with a, some kind of quarter sleeve and work it into a full sleeve, but he's pretty, he's pretty damn good. Like he's, I think he's 150 bucks an hour. So... Lola was a good pet the whole time I was gone because I went and got my hair cut this morning, came back for just a minute to check on her because I had no idea how long I was going to be gone and then left at about 11.15 and then I didn't get back here till about 4.30. Um, so I was gone a fairly long time um, for that. And then I ended up, I had one of those, they're not the best, but they're not the worst. So Walmart sells these things called a cowboy steak. And I was in a rush the other day to get some groceries in between everything. Like I had shit going on last night. Um, me and my friend Vanessa went up to see this band that's called uh, Riverside Rampage. It's like, I would call it like bluesy Americana, uh, like 70s rock, comparable to something like cream or the blue blue blue, 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 blue blue oyster cult something like that right but they got a saxophone player it's the guy that does a lot of her photography stuff that i want to learn some stuff from too because he's really fucking good um 
So I went and saw them last night and then I was just, I just had no time to do shit. So I ended up getting the Walmart steak last night and then I cooked it today um, after I got my tattoo and that was fucking delicious. So yeah, I did all that shit in a very short amount of time and now I'm ready to talk games and GamesCon. So let's talk about Cult of the Lamb. Um, here's my final review of it. It has a really strong start. Um, Cult of the Lamb stylistically is a lot like Ed McMillan art. So kind of like the Binding of Isaac, right? But actually a little bit sharper, a little bit brighter, a little bit, it pops a little bit better, but essentially looks a lot like something Ed McMillan would do. It's just, it's got less gross imagery, right? Like Ed McMillan likes to draw poop a lot for some reason. And a lot of like urine and blood and all sorts of weird stuff, right? And sometimes he intentionally makes stuff asymmetrical on purpose. Well, Cult of the Lamb is very symmetrical. Kind of has a cutesy vibe, but dark side to it, right? You're building your own cult. And what I found, so here's the central game loop, right? You've got a management sim where you're kind of like, don't starve, super light. Building up a community, kind of like a a really light rim world. Then you're going into a dungeon with your leader, you know, the lamb, right? And doing kind of some button mashy combat to get through these randomly generated levels to get resources and extra faith for the community. Then you come back, you give a sermon, and then you make sure everybody's fed. You build a few more things and then you go back out to the dungeon and you get your rocks and your trees and your cash and all that other stuff to help you with your unlocks. And when you come back, they've prayed to your your idol long enough that gives you some faith for some unlocks. And then you go and have them do a sermon with you and then you get some personal faith in you and you unlock some new abilities. The thing is, is there's five total bosses that are not mini bosses, like five main bosses. And about halfway to boss three, you pretty much have everything unlocked. And that was something I didn't like. Felt like the pacing was off somewhere there. And then things I did like besides the artwork and the setting and the central game loop um, is I did like that the weapon rolls you got were pretty good. And I did like the, the goofiness of your cult members, right? Like sure it's been shared a million times like at some point somebody in your cult's going to ask you to make them a bowl of poop right you can make a bowl of poop and it will make them sick um you can sacrifice your cult members to get additional faith for yourself for additional unlocks and so that's why you do that um or you might be sacrificing somebody old because they're about um once they get elderly they don't work they just give you faith um, but later on in the game, you can turn them into demons, which is typically what I did with the older people. I didn't sacrifice that many people in my playthrough, although I know a lot of people are just sacrificing the olds. I preferred getting a shitload of faith, so I had a community that was almost 30 strong by the end of the game. Um, and I was routinely just converting people to demons to take them with me on my runs to make my runs more successful. Because you don't lose them, they come back. But if my guy, my old man's not going to do anything but give me faith the whole time and I'm almost maxed on all my abilities, then I might as well just turn him into a wrecking ball, um, which, you know, you can turn him into people that can shoot additional projectiles or do an additional melee attack or maybe go find you hearts or whatever. 
but it's really useful to take them with you. Um, maybe go take your three least useful members with you and then make something useful out of them. Um, there are downsides to that, right? They get tired, so you can't just use the same people over and over and over again. You kind of have to cycle through them. But the central game loop, though, is you go and you beat a boss, um, and then you come back and you unlock more shit. And then there's like a whole fishing mini game that like Rusty was asking me about it the other night, and I was like, I got all the things I needed for the fish, and then I called it a day. I was like, and then I never fished again because I didn't have any want for food because I had a, three farm plots just shooting food out all over the place. I was selling extra food all the time because I had too much food. Um, like some of that stuff becomes almost not an issue later on in the game. Maybe I need to crank it all the way to like super hard to get that level of difficulty, but I wasn't having a lot of issue with that. Um, I was not doing great with the combat. So I will tell you that I got to where I just wanted to beat the game at the end. And so when I got to the last legs of that game, I decided I just want to beat you and move on to the next thing. So I put it on easy, which let me two and three shot most of the bosses because I'm not particularly good at bullet hells, even though for some reason I play a lot of them. Um, and then just got through the game. So the game netted me about 24 hours, I think. Um, you can fact check me on Steam if you want. But yeah, about 24 hours um, before I finally beat it. I give it like basically it's a it's a strong B. Like I said, when you've unlocked everything, you lose a lot of motivation to continue playing other than you're progressing the story with others, not a lot of story, right? Um so I lost motivation after about the 15 hour mark. I was like, okay, I'm done with this loop. I want to just get to the end. And I kind of struggled the last 10 hours. So it's like a strong B for me, which in our rating system is probably a four out of five i don't think it's going to be for me at least i'm not i don't think it's going to be like a game of the year contender i mean it might be with rusty i've seen him on there a lot but it's worth the money that you shell out for it i think it sells for 30 bucks it's probably not worth the switch task tax but because i think on switch it might be 40 bucks um yeah games are usually five ten dollars higher there but Unless I would, they're $60 titles. Yeah. So I think, is it worth playing out of everything in the summer? Yeah, I think so. I just think that it the gameplay got a little bit stale about halfway through. Um, and then if I have to like, if I like have to just push my way through something, it loses a little bit of its luster. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. I had a similar experience with Hard West too. Um, so I beat that. That's a much longer game. I want to say that took me closer to 50 hours, maybe 45 hours to beat. No, I take that back. It took me 30 hours to beat. Um, the first and second maps are really good. Um, and I wasn't tired of the gameplay, but by the time I got to the third map, a lot of the fights, I felt like I had to kind of do them a certain way. Like there's a, a little bit of margin for error. But I had to save scum to get through some of the maps, meaning I would save, try something out, see if it completely fucked me, play a few turns, and then if it didn't work out, go back to my save and then replay. So the fights were taking me anywhere from 45 minutes to like three hours to beat. And in that game, I've talked about it enough on the show to kind of tell you what it is. Top down, isometric, turn-based. Um, 
strategy game, but with a lot of weird quirks. Like you, if you, somebody misses or shoots you, you get a little bit of luck. If you miss when you shoot, you get a little bit of luck. And you can use that luck to increase your chance to hit, um, which helps especially when you're ricocheting and doing these crazy shots. It's just sometimes it's not the map requires you to do something a certain way. It's that it becomes ultra fucking hard if you don't clear like some in some cases, like 20 enemies in the screen in a single turn. And the way that you can do that is by essentially killing with each character to give them a refresh on their action points. So if you can kill an enemy, that refreshes all three of your action points. And in most cases, your shots or your abilities take two action points, and then your abilities are put on cooldown after you use them. Um, so there was a lot of like interesting tinkering between characters to get kind of like the perfect storm. I used a guy that could switch health with anybody on the map a lot, um, named Lazarus, which you get pretty early on in the game. Um, I think he's a pretty, pretty beefy character, especially if you stack him with a lot of health. Um, and then there was a nether character, a female character, the only female character on your team. But she can hot swap with other people, so she can trade places with somebody, which means that with your characters and the enemy characters, so you get a better increased chance to hit from, like, say, a water tower, right? And they've got a sniper on a water tower. Well, if I'm in range, I'm going to swap using her with that character, and that'll damage us both a little bit, and then I'll put the other character in range of everybody else to just obliterate them, and then give my character now a better spot, or can then use her to swap back with a character that's um, on my team that might be better equipped. So maybe I've got a sniper. So I'll swap between her and the sniper and put my sniper now in that spot after I've killed that other sniper. Now he's got free range or she's got free range of the whole area. Yeah, there's two female characters now that I remember because the other sniper's a female. Um, but anywho, yeah, the uh, it was good till the end and then the end felt like a fucking slog. In fact, there are two missions that were harder than the final mission just based on the sheer volume of enemies and the sheer health pool that they had. I played that on hard all the way through. That was a pretty hard game. And again, give it like for strategy, especially for strategy games, it's about a, it's a straight B. So I don't know. I might even give it 3.9. There's some, there's definitely some fun to be had. Just the last part of that game was a real fucking slog. It, I think if they cleaned up, They'd have to retool a lot of stuff to make that a better game, honestly. I think if there was a little bit more strategy involved and less, I've got to get my positioning right so that I can get my ricochets right. Like, there's some puzzly elements to that that kind of ruin the strategy. Where you're, I mean, there is a strategy to puzzle, but I don't know. Um, it's that getting the right position to take on so many characters all at once so that you have kind of the uh, perfect storm to kill 50 enemies on a map, right? So it's um it's a hard it's a yeah, 3 nines what I'm going to give that. So it's all about finding your right position in some of the levels. Absolutely, yeah. And it does matter what characters you bring because that kind of plays to your playstyle. Like there's a character that does really well with low health, they get increased damage when they're on low health. It's a real dangerous game to play, and your characters don't have permadeath, so if they get killed, they get an injury, and then they come back in with less health the next mission or whatever, 
And then you got to spend money to heal them, et cetera, right, to bring them back up. I, I can't remember for sure if they had an injury or not, but I'm pretty sure they did. So it's, uh, you have the art, the style, the style direction, all that stuff's great. It's just the core loop on that doesn't quite work towards the end. Because they really want you to have pretty high-level characters at that point. And I did. But even with high-level characters, like, it was all about positioning to get the right the right amount of enemies killed so it didn't just completely screw me on the next turn where I started dropping a lot of characters. Like, get down to, like, one character. It's pretty hard to come back because you can't res anybody. Um, gotcha. I think there's one item that'll let you res mid-fight. But beyond that one item, like, and it's really fucking limited use. Um, it's just, I don't know. Again, they'd have enemies with like huge health pools that were, where you had to focus fire down for two turns in order to take them down. And those were hard when you got a whole bunch of little dudes just harassing the fuck out of you. So yeah, Hard West 2, it's about a B. But again, that's 55 hours of gaming in the last two weeks just between those two games. Which brings me to Last Spell. They did a real big update where they added additional maps. I'm still stuck on map one. Um, I've gotten all the way to the end and all the way down to the last part of the end of night six, which is the final night for, I think it's called Gildenberg or whatever. It's whatever the first place is called. Still working my way towards a win. I think I've dropped another 15 or 20 hours in the last week. Still pretty fucking cool, though. Um, I was just... I realized I needed something narrative-driven, which is weird, because I played a whole much more Nightmare Reaper, and I'm still not finished with that. I think I'm like 30-plus hours into that game. But I realized that I needed a, something a little bit more narratively-driven that had more of a focused point. So to that end, I've tried two new games. So in Game Pass, there's a game called Midnight Fight, which is kind of like Batman Simulator, like Arkham Asylum Simulator. It's all about combos and that kind of fight system. And it's done actually pretty well. Haven't gotten real far in it. I've just kind of started working my way through that game. But yeah, it kind of reminds me of a mix between Bad Dudes, um, a beat em up like Final Fight, and Arkham Asylum. It's like isometric top down, and you're just beating the fuck out of people and killing them. Um, you can use weapons. They got limited use. You can like roll over and pick up things like knives and like tables and chairs and all sorts of shit. Then you can block and counter things, right? Like you'll see a button prompt pop, prompt pop up that will let you start a big long counter combo on characters um, that are attacking you. Um, and you have a whole bunch of unlocks to help you figure out what your fighting style is and what you want to do. And then you can replay the levels to get better at them. But Midnight Fight seems pretty cool. Um, didn't quite click with what I was looking for, though. So then I moved to Ghostwire Tokyo. And I've put about 15 hours into Ghostwire Tokyo in the last week, even though I've been pretty busy, which means I'm playing about five hours a night for all the nights that I had to game with it, which is pretty long for me on a work night. Um, but Ghostwire Tokyo kind of didn't know how I felt about it at first, but I like it pretty well so far. First of all, I'm going to say this, right? I know this isn't core to the gameplay. It's a pretty good looking game. Um, this is probably the best looking Bethesda game I've seen in a long time. Um, ray tracing on it is on point um, to a ridiculous degree. Like the city, it's in Tokyo, right? In Shibuya. And it like it rains off and on a fair amount. 
And when it rains, it creates these puddles. And in the puddles, you can see the sky and your reflection. And like, it's pretty insane. Um, all the reflections on the windows of the character, all the ray tracing stuff in this is done excellently. Um, his hands look a little bit weird, but he's weaving spells basically. So it's like a spell shooter, right? You got a bow and arrow. You've got these card, these uh, call them talismans. They're basically like little little cards that you hold in your hand and you throw them down. They do different things like stun an enemy or distract an enemy or um, create a bush in front of you. You can create a shrubbery and then hide in the shrubbery. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting on that. The combat's actually not the most impressive thing, though. The biggest thing for me is the core loop of it is it's an open world game where you're unlocking things. You go to these shrines and fight a bunch of demon things. And then you unlock the shrine and it unlocks another part of the map. And then the story wants you to unlock those to continue to progress forward, going around saving souls, which means you see floating specters in the air and you suck them up in this little like paper doll thing. And then you go around looking for little raccoons or I think maybe they're Tanuki. But anyways, they're you'll see like their tail sticking out from a sign and that means they disguise themselves as a sign. So you're running around freeing them. Um and then you're going around to these side quests which range from find a ghost toilet paper to ride this subway into hell and then fight some crazy shit in hell and then come back. Which was pretty interesting and weird. Like some of the the Quality of the side quests vary pretty widely. Some of them are really basic fetch quests yet. And some of them are like really out there, pretty crazy stuff. And the side quests all take about anywhere from like 10 minutes to like half an hour to complete. So if you're like me and I was playing sometimes on my lunch break, I would be like, all right, I need 30 minutes of gameplay. And it's like, there's a side quest. I'm going to take the side quest. Um, And then it would give me like 30 minutes of content. And then the other thing too is there's no parkour. But you can unlock fairly early on the ability to create a point in the sky where you can reach out and use a spectral grappling hook to pull you up. And your character can also glide. So you can essentially grappling hook your way up to the top of a building and then glide building like rooftop to rooftop, finding new interesting things for you to collect. I actually like the collectible aspect. Um... There's some things I don't like. I think the city being completely dead means you have kind of a dead city, right? But the things that are inhabiting the city are fairly interesting, and the enemies are fairly not too crazily different. I think some of the harder enemies I've ran into so far have been quite a bit different than what I'm used to so far. There's these guys with, like, umbrellas that are walking around that have no face that kind of look like Slenderman. And then there's these, like, headless schoolgirls that shoot a whole bunch of elemental magic. There's like a girl that I've ran into so far. It looks like she has a paper mache face. Um, there's these guys in like suits that are huge and burly that are really fucking tough. There's these like cops. Um, there's these weird like scarecrow things that float in the air that are really fucking hard. And then these things that you know when you're next to these weird spirit things because the rain starts flowing upside down and going up into the sky when you get close to them. And you see this creepy ass thing floating in front of you that starts like raining elemental damage on you. And there's like these weird kind of like Grim Reaper things that float around. Boss fights have been pretty hard so far. Um, I've enjoyed them though. I'd, I'd say pretty hard. They've taken me like 
three, maybe four attempts to get past. Um, there's also stealth kills, and there's a lot of incentive to do stealth kills, even though it's not mandatory. There's definitely sections where you have to play stealth. In fact, I just got through a boss fight that was basically stealth fight the whole way. Like, basically told you you need to stealth attack this this thing like three or four times before you get to the next stage of the fight. And, of course, that got me to the end of the fight. Um, So, like, the overall narrative is pretty okay. So far, I'm leaning a little bit more towards B plus on Ghostwire Tokyo, meaning, like, closer to, like, a four and a quarter. Um, that could change, right? It could fall on its face because I thought Cult of the Land was going to be better and then it just turned into a, a grind with not a lot of point towards the end. Like I said, go, uh, Cult of the Land, basically the last three bosses were me having everything unlocked and just trying to finish the level so I could get to each boss. Um, if this turns into something like that, then I'll, I'll want to uh, do something different. But so far, I've liked the, it's not really a pixel hunt. You like ping the map and then you find interesting things and that kind of leads you to the next activity or the next thing you're finding or whatever. And finding shit nets you really good rewards. Like it's way more rewarding to save a bunch of spirits in town than it is for you even to do any of the side quests. The side quests are just interesting side content. Um, there's also this really cool thing you do with spirits where you do a whole sigil. So with your hands, you create the shape and then that will banish a spirit into the next realm or whatever. I don't know. Anyways, I will say if you run into a ghost parade, go to the ghost parade. Um, because it's pretty neat. I um, mean, ghost parade just sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The setting, like it's creepy, but it's not completely scary. Right. I've. I don't typically play a lot of quote unquote scary games, but I've been playing everything fucking, I don't know what my deal is. Like I keep playing everything that's really dark. It's like, what game am I going to start? It's like, am I going to play the Alan Wake remake? Am I going to play Control? Am I going to play Hellpoint? Or am I going to play Ghostwire Tokyo or Nightmare Reaper? All of those are like horror themed. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Are you getting all gothy again? Not really. But yeah, like, uh, Everything that I'm playing is like, like typically, uh, typically play stuff that's not I mean, scary at all. Uh, although I did I mean, play the fair, fuck out of Alan Wake a long time ago. I mean, you have been playing some fairly what used to be Trent centric games there. I still don't think I'm going to play Callisto Protocol, but. We'll talk about that a little bit more after the break. So, do you think we ought to just go ahead and uh, take a break? Yeah, I think we're in a good spot. All right, guys, we'll be back. Yes, we are. This is a... It was a good break. Yeah, it was. I really needed a stretch. I've had my leg elevated this whole time. So that's the other thing about getting this on my calf is that, you know, blood is flowing down and uh, it's swelling a little bit. So I'm having to elevate it ever so often and it's getting my leg sore in a weird kind of way. So I really needed to stretch out. 
Um, yeah. Uh, and my dog started going crazy because there's no one else in the house. So I'd see what was going on with him and let him out. Yeah, there was kind of a weird break in there. And you guys may or may not notice it, depending on how good Jason does with editing. But uh, there was a spot where he's like trying to flag me down. And I'm like, just keep rolling. He's like, look at your phone. And I'm sitting here thinking, I put my phone away so I wouldn't look at my phone. And I finally looked at my phone and I was like, I guess I better stop just right here. <laughs> All right. I hope nobody yeah. is robbing the house. Pretty much. I mean, he was going crazy, but I guess I just didn't hear him scratching at the door. So, hey, when you got to poop, you got to poop. Right? So. But while we were on break, we also just kind of lined out some things from Gamescom. I, you know, like we said earlier in the show, it was a really, um, really dense uh, opening night stream that really was reminiscent of shows a few years ago before COVID. And a uh, lot of surprises. Uh, lot of uh a lot of really really get great trailers and announcements i think uh uh just leading out kind of our coverage of it um for me the biggest thing that came out of it surprise wise was the uh premiere trailer and announcement of a uh second dune game uh, that's being worked on outside of Spice Wars, which, as we know, is a RTS style game. Uh, Dune Awakening, uh, which is, is uh, supposed to be like an open world survival MMO in that universe. Is it and an actual I MMO? Say, uh, according to according to what information's out there right now, yeah. Huh. Um, and beta signups uh are apparently open um but i gotta say that cinematic trailer looks look fucking epic um of course i've got no uh uh no kind of expectation that that's gonna be um uh, the way actual gameplay looks, we've only got cinematic stuff right now, but uh, it definitely piqued my interest. And according to the uh, Steam page, um, Awakening combines the grayness and creativity of survival games with the social interactivity of large-scale persistent multiplayer games to create a unique and ambitious open-world survival MMO. That um, is that last part that gets me MMO. Right. I've been burned with MMOs every freaking time. That's true. That's true. Um, but some of their bullet, bullet points they have is... Uh, uh, Building shelters against sandstorms, maintaining your still suit, um, uh, learning to uh, do do the walk of the desert, avoid uh, the sandworms, uh, of course, exploring uh, 
uh, different, uh, uh, different cities, spaceships, um, and of course, all of the cave systems, or at least parts of them. Um, hunt for, for spice, uh, all that stuff. So I, I'd be interested to, uh, to see more of it i'm definitely signing up for the beta actually as we record this to see if i can get on it in on it because it definitely piqued my interest and i'd be interested to see what's going on there um it does steam has it tagged as online pvp so um I don't know if it's strictly going to be a PvP game. Um, it's also got the PvE tag, so you know I'll definitely check out the beta and see uh, um, see what more might be going on there. Um, and then from there, I mean, Gamescon's just been chock full of trailers and information about games out. I'll start kind of where my top five was, and then you can tell me what um, kind of what you were looking at. What what definitely caught my eyes most as top five caught my eyes most was uh, the uh, uh, trailer for Atlas Falling. Um, that game definitely looked very interesting. I can't remember what Atlas Falling was. Or, or Atlas Fallen, sorry. Um, so it was the... Uh, how to you describe like the, the one, trailer. The one game that I'm like, uh, I missed it? Atlas Calling? Fallen. Okay. Um, it definitely looked like a... Um, Monster Hunter esque game from the cinematic trailer. Um, I don't know if it's going to be completely on those lines or not, but what little gameplay was in the trailer definitely looked very Monster Hunter World ish. Um, yeah, I kind of some, uh, for some reason, some, some reason, some very I... detailed 3D graphics. Yeah, it looks like it's a PS5 exclusive, right? Uh, yes. Some reason I completely uh, missed though, this. Though it's not PS5 exclusive, it was in the PlayStation portion of Gamescom, um, but it does have a Steam listing. Okay. So, um, that definitely looked interesting. Um in fact, its descriptions actually say uh, exploring unique fantasy world, yada, yada, like most games do. But then it says hunt legendary creatures alone or with a friend. So uh, uh, definitely interested me on the Monster Hunter-esque portion. Um, and then you had the Lords of the Fallen. Yeah, I'm on the fence with Lords of the Fallen because the last game was decent but not great. And so I kind of want to see what they release. Focus Entertainment 
also released the last Aliens game and that last Robin Hood game. So I'm kind of like on the fence with what they released. Like they released, they're working on Space Marine 2. Um, and they worked on Plague Tale, right? Like Plague Tale looks pretty damn good. Space Marine 2 looks pretty good. Evil West looks pretty good. Um, but like some of these other games, like the uh, Hood Outlaws and Legends was not good. Fireteam Elite was not very good. World War Z was okay. Like I could never find anybody to play with me. Surge 2 was okay. Plague Tale was good. Vampire was good. <sighs> Greedfall was okay. Call of Cthulhu was not worth it. And Surge 1 was pretty good. So like, they're kind of like, 50% hit and miss with Focus Entertainment, which is kind of why I'm like on the fence with it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the, the story trailer definitely piqued my interest, but from the gameplay from the first one, I'm with you. I, I want to see, I kind of want to see the, um, the reaction or reviews once it once it releases. Well, um, I'll tell you every high profile game that Deck 13's made. So they made Lords of the Fall in the first one, which like I said was kind of a miss. Um Search 2, Search 1. I'm trying to give you ones that you might know what they are. Um I'm gonna keep scrolling because all these are like super fucking indie to where even I haven't. War Tile, which is okay. Um Um, Ankh Heart of Osiris, I remember playing that. I don't remember it at all. Um, that's what I'm saying. So, like, they're kind of an unproven developer. Like, for all the games they have here, there's nothing here that sticks out that was great. So, if they knock it out of the park, great. But, like, I like to look at a, a publisher's, not just the publisher, but, like, the developer's history to see what they've released before I kind of... Especially now, like I was saying at the beginning of the the show, like there are times when I really want to, um, where I really wanted to like something because the trailer was great, etc. And then I finally got the game and it fell flat. So now, like, I go into like, what's your report card, developer? What have you made so far? Is there any of these things that I liked a lot? I still haven't beat Search Two. I started playing it, and then for whatever reason, I just fell off the face of the earth with it. I beat Search One. That was pretty good, but it definitely wasn't wasn't what i wanted it to be it was pretty good it like four and a quarter game right like not a not a five not a 4.5 not an elden ring or even a dark souls yeah. but well not a neo so so deck 13 surprisingly is the one developing atlas fallen right and the lords of the fallen is actually being developed by hexworks Um, and what has, just cause I'm curious, what has Hexworks really done? I don't think anything. First game they're proudly developing is Lords of the Fallen. So they bought the license for that to work on it. There you go. So they're a studio based in Barcelona and Bucharest. <laughs> 
So they're a new studio. All righty then. So, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I pulled up their um, LinkedIn. They have 64 employees. So it's a medium-sized studio. That's not full indie. Uh, yeah, not full indie. Um, like said, though, I, you know, yeah, especially keep the list. now knowing that it's a new studio, I, you know, we'll definitely wait and see what it what it actually does or until we see some actual gameplay yeah that's so you can keep them rolling i'll keep telling you what i'll keep giving you fucking uh report cards here right um the third one for me was moonbreaker at uh, this game have no details on the universe yet but it is basically a simulated tabletop miniature game i saw that one that one looked interesting and that interests me. I'm, you know, after everything we've had uh, in the video game space, especially since, uh, you know, the last 10 to 15 years as 3D's really, uh, really been there, especially since the release of Unreal 4, um, I've really been wondering why we haven't had... Um, a game set up like this that wasn't a um that wasn't an obscure thing like a tabletop simulator is uh this would be just like war tile so if you're interested in a similar game that's out today that would be war tile but to oh, give okay. you so unknown worlds though has a good track record but nothing like this at all so you may know them for making Subnautica and Subnautica 2, and they made the Natural Selection games. So really all they made was Natural Selection, Natural Selection 2, Subnautica, and Subnautica Below Zero. I don't know what Future Perfect is. That's apparently on their resume as well. Um, oh, that's an interface. Okay, never mind. So yeah, they have... they have And Zen of Sudoku is all they've done. So like... I'm sure that was like their breakout game, and then they made the Natural Selection games, which were okay. I played those a lot. They were multiplayer games, um, if I remember right, that were people versus dinosaurs. Yep. Uh, um, and then they came out with Subnautica, which was fantastic. Um, that's a very good game. Subnautica, the first one, is like a 4-7. And then Subnautica 2, I think we gave a 4 and a quarter or something. It just didn't quite have the same magic just because of the pathing in the game. But um, they've got a good track record. They just don't have any kind of turn-based track record. Like, if you're talking about the P like Larian Studios doing this, that would be top-notch, because that's the Divinity people, right? Um, right. But that's what I'm saying. So, keep going. I'm curious, I mean, too. it just... The... The idea of actually being able to um, uh, assemble units and assets and actually uh, generate digital miniatures, um, even go through the cathartic um, kind of uh, um, uh, thing of actually 
painting the man chairs digitally <laughs> um, was some of the things they talked about. And that just kind of, that piques my interest having like the, the, the whole Manchers thing, uh, full Mancher experience digitally, um, without having to go through the hundreds of dollars, if they do it right, without having to go through the hundreds of dollars uh, to do actual Manchers, would be great. Um, granted, we have no detail how any of that's going to work yet, etc. Um it's in active development. Um, uh, so there's, uh, uh, there's currently a, a play test that you can request access to through steam. Um, uh, it's currently in early access. So, uh, if anybody wants to check it out, I kind of want to. It's so much different from their normal pedigree that I kind of want to wait and see more um, before I went and did something like that. But it definitely piqued my interest. Um, the ones that I like that I saw there was Lies of P. Yes, that was my number one, aside from Dune. But <laughs> again, doing publisher and studio research new studio round eight studios the only things they have is bless unleashed which was an open world mmo that didn't quite make it and then neowit studios mostly was a psp publisher for a bunch of music games um hold on i'll tell you yeah, it's uh, Neowitz Games. Did a lot of PSP games, but specifically one series. Um, let me see if I can find what their game list is. Games. Bless Unleashed. Kingdoms of Heroes. Metal Unit. I'm going to keep saying stuff that you don't know anything about. Plebe Quest. Skull, which was a fairly recently released game that's pretty... Seems decent, but I haven't played enough, but... And I'm scrolling through a list of stuff you've probably never heard of. Unsold, which I started on Game Pass, which isn't bad. So I'm just kind of curious to see what happens. But they're, uh, I think, a German publisher um, that publishes yep. a lot of smaller titles. And like I said, prior to anything recent, it was mostly PSP titles is what they kind of came from. But if you were to pick what they've got like on Steam... It's a lot of really small games, so I'm curious to see what they do with Lies of P, um, because they're in my head they're also kind of untested as well. Uh, definitely with this style of game, absolutely. I know they uh, they were the ones that did uh, the uh, did Battlefield Online, which was like a free to play version of Battlefield Two. And Battlefield 2142 in South Korea. Um, well, I was going to say, there are some other things that I saw that kind of piqued my interest more than, like, I saw the Word Song one, which was being made by former BioWare, or not BioWare, but uh, Bethesda and 
um, Obsidian developers or Bioware developers is former Bethesda and Bioware developers. The trailer is basically artwork. So it tells us nothing, but I'm curious, right? Probably won't come out for like five years. So we'll see what happens. Um, the other one that I was really interested in was Homeworld 3. I actually played Homeworld way back in the day. And then the other day, I guess because there was a Gamescom announcement, you could get the remastered series for $4, which includes Homeworld 1 and 2 remastered. And I've had it on my wish list for quite a while. So I went ahead and picked it up because I might, for $4, like I did not want to pass up a deal like that. Um, so that was kind of on my backlog of things to start dicking around with as so I might play some Homeworld and talk about it later. But I wanted to play it before it comes out, and it's coming out in the first half of next year. So I've got a little bit of time to get through the original Homeworlds again and see what I think, because I did like them way back in the day. But original Homeworld came out a really long time ago, like close to 20 years ago. I was yeah. also cautiously optimistic about Lords of the Fallen as well. I was more drawn to Hogwarts Legacy, surprisingly, um, than I thought I would be. I know there's a lot of people that are looking forward to Callista Protocol. I don't know that I'm going to be able to play that. Um, but Dead Island 2 looked really freaking cool. Um, I, I like zombies, and I don't, I don't apologize for it at all. Um, I like the original Dead Island. I really like Dying Light, and I like the fact they have a story DLC coming out. But I'm probably going to wait a little bit before I play Dying Light again. I'm going to wait for a couple of DLCs to come out before I dive in again, because it's a fairly expensive game. And most yeah. of the Dying Light side stuff is like a five or six hour thing, which is not bad because you're just buying a small portion of content. But I like experiencing the game with all that content added in all together at once. So I'll right. probably wait a while before I play the expansion because I just I can get through usually get through that stuff in like two nights. And that's not enough gameplay for me. True. Um Oh, I was going to say, I, I mean, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Dead Island 2. I know it, my only issue is it's been in development hell for so long. Uh, bounced back and forth to so many studios that I just kind of, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know what I mean? Right. I, uh... Um, Who's, I forgot, who ended up developing it? It's somebody we really know. Um, Deep Silver ended They're, up with it. Yeah, speaking of um, Deep Silver, like Saints Row came out the other day to like a Metacritic score of like 65. Wow. So I'm glad I didn't pre-order that. I'm sure I hope a lot of other people didn't. But apparently it's a buggy mess and doesn't stick the landing on anything. So it's kind of, I didn't, I don't know how to make, I don't know how a Saints Row game plays nowadays anyway. And like even it kind of started to fall on its face back on four. So I wasn't really hyped for a reboot. And I don't know, like I kind of expected it to fall on its face with it being a reboot and following the less over-the-top stuff. Like, with superpowers, that game is ridiculous. But with too much superpowers, like in 4, it gets 
easy as hell and wrote, right? It basically, uh, I don't know. It just, it turned into a big, boring game. And apparently it's now just a big, boring game without a whole lot of humor, which makes it even less Saints Row than Saints Row. So yeah, I feel like the, I feel like the peak of that was Gat Out of Hell. Yeah, like three. Three is the best yeah. Saints Row. Two and three were like the best. Three had some things that were a little bit better than two, and two had some, I think the characters in two were great, but the whole being the president in three was ridiculous, and I thought that was great. Pretty sure that's three. I could be wrong, but I do remember that sticking with me. You're the fucking president? <laughs> um, so... Actually, Saints Row the Saints Row the fourth is you're the president, and that's where the aliens come in. Oh, and then it got really boring. It's it's by the end of three that you end up being the president, and then there was the Gat Out of Hell DLC. Yeah, three is pretty damn good. Um, I don't know if they'll ever top that. Deep Silver is also hit and miss, right? So. Yeah. So, I mean, it it's one thing or another. I just don't, you know, did Deep Silver end up starting from scratch? Were they just trying to improve what was already there for multiple different developers? Like, that game could be in such a way that it could end up as good as the the quote gameplay trailer made it look um it could be an unplayable mess i mean let's face it the first dead island was super fucking buggy like we all enjoyed it but it was initially super fucking buggy me Um, and me and trent spent a lot of co-op time playing that i recently i got it for basically the xbox 360 emulator for xbox one and played the hell out of it for a while and then i was like all right i've already beat this game twice i need to stop playing it yeah the uh hogwarts so, legacy so, actually surprised the hell out of me like i'm a fairly big harry potter fan i wouldn't call myself a a harry pot head but i would say that it surprised me too i i, I actually saw that and was like that looks kind of cool i'm not going to pre-order it but Definitely going to keep my eye on this and see how it turns out. And of course, you know, they talked more about 40K Dark Tide. And of course, I'm everything but pre ordering that at this point. Like, that's going to be one that I probably will get. It's freaking Fat Shark has a fantastic record. That's the thing, right? They had a good game with Vermintide. They had a extremely good game with Vermintide 2. And now they're making another game. Like, I'm not. I'm not worried about Dark Tide. And they delayed it to make sure that they got it right. So, like, I'm, I might be a little bit of a hypocrite with this, but that's one of the few that I'm, like, super on board with that's coming out this year. But I didn't see a lot else. I wanted to say, did am I missing anything that I'm just skipping over before I dive into the next topic I wanted to bring up? Well, um... So my last one that really, really piqued my interest, but it's also a brand new studio, um, was Where Winds Meet. Describe that for me real quick. So that one was the uh, one set in China with some very 
Ghosts of Tsushima vibes. Did you miss that trailer? I watched all of them several times. I just have to. Okay, yeah, I remember this. Okay. Um, I mean, it piqued my interest. Again, I'm kind of, I'm trying to stay fairly reserved because it is a brand new studio. Um, but it won't be the first time a brand new studio blew us out of the water. Um, but it definitely what they showed looked really interesting and what they told us about the mechanics being able to um kind of choose your your career your path in life etc while in that in that type of setting um yeah, that- it really depends on what they do with the story but it looked very interesting okay i'm with you on this yeah, they pulled a lot from Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, I mean it's got a lot of those vibes. Um so I you know, it just it looked interesting. Uh it was one of the mo- more interesting uh uh tra- reveal trailers um I thought of the whole show. Um and then of course a few uh um few honorable mentions you had uh um of course Plague's Tale Requiem. Um it was a different trailer, but for the most part, um didn't really give you all that much that was really new. Um there was a uh actual gameplay trailer from high on life um which is that new fps from uh justin roland who did rick and morty um oh yeah that actually i don't know if it's gonna be annoying as hell or fun fantastic right i mean it definitely could go either way i found myself um edging towards annoyed in the uh during the gameplay trailer but it was also a boss fight so if that level of commentary from the from the gun and knife um kind of sticks to the boss fights i think it'll be fine if it's like that throughout the whole game though i could see myself getting very easily annoyed yeah, and some quick news. I wanted to kind of just rehash a couple of things. So online features for the PC versions of Dark Souls 3 have been reactivated. So that's back in place. Um, I did, there was a new trailer from Atomic Heart that came out that looked pretty awesome, honestly. I've been looking for another game that kind of gave me Bioshock vibes, and that game gives me strong Bioshock vibes. So yep. I'm looking forward to that. And then there was the price hike for, well, I'll just talk about it for a second. Price hike for PS5 and everywhere but the U.S., which was weird. I posted a comparison, so they were saying that there was, the price hike was 1499 Mexico Mexican pesos, and at the time I posted it, it was like $748. That's a weird place to 
hike the price. Um, but yeah, so Europe is going for 549 euros for the ultra version, right? And then 449 for the digital. UK, it's going to 479.99 pounds, and the digital is 389.99. Japan, I don't know if anybody knows the this except for Spencer, but 60,478 yen worth the digital edition going for 49,478. Um, Australia, 799.95 Aussie dollars, the digital edition for 649.95, and then Canada. For six forty nine ninety nine for the ultra edition with five nineteen ninety nine for the digital. I think I bought mine for four ninety nine, and I think the Canadian right. dollar is probably the closest you could get to the American dollar. And I got the good the the good edition, the ultra HD blue wrist drive version, and I got it for like a hundred and fifty dollars less. So that's quite a price hike. And we we're talking about in. And Mexico dollars, though, right? We did the conversion. Like, that's $250 more than what I spent on it. Yeah. Well, then on top of those announcements, um, during Gamescom, they were PlayStation revealed something surprising. That is, they are proving more and more how far behind Xbox they are and how much they're trying to emulate them. By seven years after Xbox released the Elite controller, highly customizable. Oh, yeah. They're now doing the same thing. Sometimes, like, PlayStation um, is so far ahead, and then sometimes you're like, you're finally getting to this, bro? Like, they... To be see, fair, they, like, Sony's game division the is... Since they, they announced the DualSense Edge, which showed you being able... Swap out uh, joysticks, full paddles on the back with the same type of, uh, um, and then with the same type of slider for the uh, uh, trigger pull level. I just, I'm like, dude, you gotta copy people so hard. And seven years after it was an original thing. Like, come on. Well, I like my PlayStation. Like I said, I fired it up and was looking to play something earlier this week. And then was going to finally jump into Horizon Zero Dawn or Horizon Forbidden West, right? And finally, I was like in the mood for that. And then I just didn't quite land on it. So um, I, it's mostly because I had to update it again. But I, uh, was looking through the the tiered level of their um, Sony's online service, and I have the basic ass service, and it's pretty comparable to Game Pass in its pricing. It's like one hundred and twenty dollars a year, so that's cheaper than Game Pass. But they're still all older games. They're offering a bigger selection of games, but they're still all older games. There's not like any new first-party releases on it still. So, like, they still haven't bit the bullet to be a loss leader there to sell more consoles like Xbox has. But, like, Xbox, I can play it on my PC. I don't have my Game Pass set for my Xbox. I don't even play my Xbox. It's because I can get all the major releases on PC, and it's part of the subscription model. 
And if I like something a whole lot, then I just buy it. And if I like something a little bit, then I don't because I didn't have to. Right. Um, but yeah, something else I noticed that's you have to really be in the know because you have a reservation for the Steam Deck. But the Q4 pre-orders, which is where mine is, um, I may start getting an email starting next month. So they're ahead of schedule on their releases for Steam Deck. So um, if you're a Q4 person like me where you said you're going to get an email between October and December, um, start looking out in your email for a September email. I think John's in the same boat as I am. I've got the mid-range version. I think he's got the high-end version. Um, I don't know why I didn't get the high-end version. I think I don't know how much I'm going to use it, but I can see a lot of use cases for it. Essentially, me playing Steam in my bedroom without playing Steam Link is basically what I'm thinking. So I don't have to worry about any kind of lag or delay because I still get a little bit of that. And there's still some games that are kind of difficult to play um, even over my network. So, But that's about all I can think of. Is there anything else that I'm missing? No, not really. I mean, there was, it was so densely packed, guys. If you haven't watched it, um, go watch that, that first night stream. Um, there was so much in there. Um, and definitely a lot of, uh, there was a huge amount of variety in there. Um, including um like return to monkey island goat simulator 3 for those people um a new genshin impact so uh and and a game and a competitive multiplayer game based on killer clowns from outer space i mean i know it's a cult a cult favorite but i don't know that it was ever a thing, so to speak. Right. So it, there's everything from the obscure to some of the stuff we already knew about that you just got new looks at. So uh, it's definitely worth worth a watch. Un, unlike a lot of this, unlike a lot of the live streams that that we've had this year so far. Right on. Well. I think that was a pretty full show, especially for just the two of us. Um, Absolutely. So with that, you can find us at TiltCast.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.com slash TiltCast. Our YouTube channel is YouTube.com slash TiltCast. Search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe. Find some friends of the show. you got Cabbage KBG. You've got NoQuarters.net. For the love of gaming, bmfcast.com and tvgp.tv, they also talk about Gamescom. And with that, it's the end of the show. Peace.